0: Hello, hello, my loves, and welcome to the first episode of the Queer Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Cornejo, a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in sex therapy, queer and BIPOC mental health. I'm located in Los Angeles, California, and I'm the co-owner of a fully virtual group practice psychosocial therapy. Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to be talking about why I'm starting it, but also uh, why it took me so long. Uh, Many of you know my work. Uh, You either follow me on Instagram or you know about psychosocial or uh, you've heard about me in some capacity. Um, You know, media has been something that I've really ventured in in the last few years, mostly because I realized just how powerful and the potential, uh, you know, uh, of us using our voice. And so... I've done it in many different capacities and this is the first time that I've decided to go solo on my podcast uh, where I will be interviewing other folks uh, but I'll be hosting on my own and the main reason for it taking so long is basically a lot of imposter syndrome uh, a lot of self-doubt you know things that i think many of us experience in some capacity uh, and having to work through those things right having to really let go of a lot of things that i learned about myself uh through connections and upbringing and you know whether it was through religion or shame or guilt and unlearning those things and instead adopting very different perspectives and embracing myself fully as human. So it took a while, but I think everything is intentional and definitely comes at a time that's most needed. And so here I am introducing to you another labor of love. And, uh, you know, I think it speaks for itself, uh, the name, right? Queer magic. As many of you know, I do identify as queer And to me, queerness represents magic. And the reason is that it really allows for unlimited potential and power right around ownership of our identities and self-expression. I I lived most of my life abiding by social expectations and a lot of what other people really held for me, uh, whether it was from my parents to education, to work, And now for the first time in the last couple of years, I've definitely have been unraveling and challenging a lot of those things. And I've learned a lot about myself, I I would say, probably more in the last few years than I have, uh, you know, a lot of my earlier years. um, Mostly because it was the first time that I actually let myself exist as I am and not really abiding by these, you know, limiting self-beliefs that I held on to for so long. So this podcast is, in a lot of ways, a form of expression for me around some topics uh, and conversations that I've been wanting to have that, for one reason or another, you know, we don't talk about mostly because of shame or stigma or because they're taboo. Um, And I think it's so important that we talk about things, especially when it comes to sexuality and gender, uh, queerness Uh, and mental health. So this show is basically going to be uh, a combination of episodes where I'll be speaking alone on certain topics that are near and dear to me and sharing my own experience And other episodes where I will have guests come on and they'll be talking about these topics or we'll have a conversation or dialogue, uh, which I think are both very beneficial, right, both formats. And so this episode is uniquely centered around me, uh, your host, and really sharing with you a little bit about myself and my background I am first generation, born and raised in Inglewood, California. Uh, My parents are both immigrants, my mom from Guatemala and my dad from Mexico. And they met when my mom was 28 and my dad was 18 years old and uh, at least from the story that they shared with me they didn't really hit it off at first but my dad kept insisting and eventually my mom grew a soft spot for him and they began dating uh, and got married uh, probably a year after they met and then had me a year after that Uh, so i am the oldest and i have two younger siblings And my parents bought their home right uh, after they got married and before I was born. And uh, life for us was pretty, um, I think, average in a lot of ways. Uh, We did grow up fairly poor, uh, so we didn't really have a lot of access to financial means. And that that was a big part of my life, at least that I recall uh, and think about a lot, was the poverty that my parents experienced. Uh, Even though they owned their own home, they still struggled and worked very, very hard. So I often didn't see them. And, uh, you know, typical uh, immigrant story, right? They came to the U.S. for a better life um, and they did that. You know, they built a life for themselves. Uh, They just finished paying off their home last year, which was a really, really big uh, moment for them. And I'm very proud of them. You know, it was something that they put intention into and that they did I mean with limited English and working in my mom in a factory uh, putting together books and my dad at a machine shop uh, for Boeing Uh, you know and since then they went into their own business together and you know they uh, were able to really build a life for themselves Um, and my parents are both very religious so from the moment that I can remember (laughs) even (laughs) comprehending we were going to church every weekend oftentimes spending hours either at church or uh, church related events. And that was a big deal for my family, you know, faith and and really believing in God. Um, I think it was a way that they coped, but also that they felt connected in community. Uh, So it was a big part of my life for a long time. Uh, I, I think now when I look back, I can definitely share that there were both positives and negatives to that uh, and definitely still a lot of harm and I normally talk about this as well and I'm really excited to uh, go into more detail later on in an episode where I do want to talk about religious trauma but the point was that it was a big part of our lives and it was a norm. We we're so used to it, right, going to, to church. And I remember being a kid and being bored out of my mind most of the time, uh, but being excited about being around other kids and having uh, the Saturday, Saturday morning church classes that I attended. Uh, I was always someone that excelled uh, academically and uh, in, in, you know, just anything that had to do with learning. Uh, I remember being number one in my Saturday morning church classes. I I was usually the only one that spoke Spanish fluently and could read the Bible. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, that was something that my parents were very proud of, you know, and I I remember doing a lot of it because I wanted them to be proud and I definitely wanted them to uh, be happy, right, that I was also interested. Um, And even though I, I... think now when i look back I, I don't think i fully understood i think it was more something that i accepted right because it was introduced to me from that moment um and so it just it just seemed normal uh but anyway in terms of excelling in school i also did really well except for uh f- you know, a few years where I did deal with a lot of bullying, uh, primarily in middle school. And the bullying is also something that I want to talk about so bad because I've seen so much out there and I know the impacts of bullying, uh, you know, firsthand. I have even worked through a lot of that in the last few years that I held on to for so long. Uh, You know, the bullying usually consisted of People making fun of the way that I talked, the way that I walked, my uh, femininity—you um, know—using very derogatory words. Uh, but also, I remember being called huanga, and it's so funny now because I—I I think about it now, and I—I I, I actually have reframed it as something of pride, right? Uh, knowing who Juan Gabriel is, but back then it—it it, it was honestly. A, uh, insult, and I didn't even know who who Juan Gabriel was. So I remember being young, and so people calling me that and thinking, "I, what is that?" And you know, later on, maricon or being called gay uh, or being told that I was a girl. And a lot of these things happened daily. And I remember um, not, not really having too many people that I felt safe with or close with and isolating myself and most of the time spending the day that I had, uh, you know, free time alone. Uh, and so that was also another part of, of my journey was never really feeling like I fit in and not being able to talk to my parents about it or really anyone, uh, mostly because I didn't understand it, Uh, you know, I didn't understand myself. I was still figuring out who I was, my sexuality, my gender uh, presentation, and also identity. And so for a long time, I was very quiet, very silent about these things. And that is a, a pivotal part of my childhood that I remember. And I think it's also one of the main reasons why I got so motivated and so inspired to want to do something in the mental health field to help others and to be able to provide a space right for folks to talk about these things and how they were impacted by them Uh, you know queer folks experience very high levels of bullying even today i mean we definitely have a lot more uh i think um and I think there's been a lot more improvement. Uh, we have a lot more awareness and knowledge, and yet we still see attacks on a daily basis towards the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, you know, right now it's in the in in the area of targeting trans and folks who uh, you know are are, are doing. Uh, amazing talented creative work as drag queens uh, and if you don't think that that impacts the lgbtq community as a whole uh, then you are sorely mistaken because it does uh, you know we are all a part of the queer community and i know that being gay and lesbian and bisexual have definitely made movements since the 80s and before that uh, and yet we are still also singled out, and you know I think it's important for us to acknowledge uh, our trans uh, siblings as well, uh, and, and remember that they are also a part of our community. And so I think for me, this is something that I will be speaking on, and uh, hopefully having some special guests to come on and really chat about this. Uh, but I digress. Going back to to me, you know uh, I like I said, bullying was a big part that I remember from my childhood, and also religion. Um, You know, my parents were, I would say, very loving and caring. However, they definitely had a lot of anxiety and fear about what other people thought or what other people would say about us. And so for me, a lot of times I had to keep things to myself. And, you know, being someone that firmly believed in the strategies that they had provided for me, right, like prayer, uh, and believing in God, I remember that was my go-to, you know, praying at night and really asking God to not make me, uh, I, I remember calling it weird, uh, but, but, you know, I think in my head I kept saying, please just make me normal, please don't let me be weird, don't let me be different, I just want to be normal, uh, and that was a big thing for me, right, was this idea of normalcy, like what, what is this normal, right, this heteronormative uh existence that even early on i knew was not who i was and i did not uh, exist in that way and so asking in those moments i recall just having so much pain and anger or feeling like why me and it was something that i carried for so long this internalized anger and shame and homophobia uh you know that really impacted me and it wasn't stuff that i believed in or that i personally adopted it was stuff that was told to me right stuff that i learned uh my environment and so not knowing how to really hold that uh, at that point i i do recall going through a lot of episodes of depression, um, a lot of anxiety, right, worries about the future, uh, worries about what would happen to me and what it meant for me to be different and how my family would react to it if they ever found out. And so it was something that I attempted to keep a secret for a really long time. Uh, you know, and flash forward, it wasn't until high school that I began to explore and really question, uh, you know, who am I? Like, what, what does this mean? Now I know that there is this word gay and I identify with it uh, because, you know, it's something that makes sense to me. Right. At this point, being gay means that I You know, I'm just different. And so I started to, um, you know, talk to some friends about it. I remember coming out. I had a bit of a mixed response. You know, some friends were very supportive, very uh, attuned to what I was sharing, and others were taken aback. Uh, You know, and there were some people that I do remember who stopped talking to me and who decided that, you know, they didn't want to be friends with me because. (laughs) you know back then according to them it was due to their religious beliefs or just because of their political stance or their parents or whatever uh and it it did hurt and i think now when i look back i i recall just wow like we were so young right we were kids and yet these were already things that separated us and you know led to this disconnect um But it was during that time where i did have some supportive friends that i started to explore when i started dating um you know i realize now uh, that there were a lot of mistakes that i made and a lot of situations that i did put myself in that were not very safe and when i think about that I, i i used to blame myself but then i quickly realized that i really didn't have anyone to ask right or that could talk to me uh you know even sex right in my family we never talked about it i mean it was such a taboo subject that i didn't even learn about sex until i was in high school and it was from friends and it was mostly because they were making crude comments and you know i was so curious about what they were talking about so there was just so much that i was dealing with at that point and you know being a teen and still trying to figure out who i am as a person but then throwing in sexuality and religion uh, and you know, all of these other things, right? Like even how, like friends and, and, uh, the future, right. Thinking about college. I mean, there was just so much. And, uh, I honestly don't <laughs> even know how I pushed through, but I did, I got to college. I remember making that big decision to leave home at 18 because I knew that I would not have been able to find myself if I stayed home. And so that was my first big decision, Uh, in my life and I recall my parents being so upset and so frustrated you know they took it very personal. Um, They felt that I was abandoning them or that I didn't want to be part of the family and I think in a lot of ways it was a lot deeper than that. I think that they kind of knew my reasons for wanting to leave in some ways and I think they were afraid that if they weren't there I was not going to be okay. Uh, You know, they never actually said that to me, but I I sensed it, um, even in their tone, right? Their fear and their worries. Um, Not just that, but being the first in my family here in the U.S. to actually go off to college and pursue an education, I think it was very confusing to them in a lot of ways. Um, But I left at 18. I moved to the Bay Area. I started college. I started dating, Um, quickly got disillusioned. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being young and being introduced to alcohol and uh, being in a new place with everyone who's your age and also confused was definitely not the, I think, best environment. But I did learn quickly. Uh, I did meet some amazing folks and I didn't really stay long At my school, I actually ended up leaving because I missed home. And so I went a lot. There was a lot of back and forth for me during that time. And I I think um, when I initially started college, I had entered as a bio major. And it took me a few years to realize that I hated it that it wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, It was really rooted in wanting to help people and become a doctor, but it wasn't aligned with who I was as a person. And so it took me a while to to figure that part out, but went back and forth uh, from Cal State East Bay to uh, Fullerton and then back to Cal State East Bay. And then eventually ended up at San Francisco State, where I finished my bachelor's degree after six years. Uh, and I ended up eventually finding my major, which was child development, and I became a teacher, and I loved it. I did it for a while, and at that time, well, before I actually uh, got my degree, I met my partner that last year when I finally <laughs> figured my shit out and was like, "Okay, child development is what I'm doing. It's what I'm passionate about." Met my partner. We went to school together for a year, uh, graduated, and then became a teacher, um, and we were. T- I think together for about three to four years when I mentioned to him that I was thinking about the future and what I really wanted to do and something that had come up for me a lot was that desire to want to continue uh, to pursue education and to help people. And as a teacher, one of the things that I loved the most was supporting parents and providing a lot of information on development, mental health, and it it was part of the work that I did, not the main part, but it was a big part that inspired me. And during that time, I also met my best friend, Catherine Dominguez, which some of you may know or have heard me talk about or have seen on psychosocial with me. Uh, And Catherine was actually studying to be a social worker. And I remember she was one of the first people to tell me, you should look into social work or mental health. And maybe that's something that, you know, you can uh, you can look look towards and connect with. And I did. And I remember falling in love with like a lot of the different uh, pathways, right, that there were for mental health professionals. Uh, but I settled on and not settled. I connected the most, I would say, with the li- licensed marriage and family therapist uh, path. And the main reason was that it just felt so personal and it felt like it was something that I really, really had been preparing for. Right. This focus around relationships and connections and just really um, having that individual one-on-one kind of work, and I decided to go for it, and so I applied to um, Cal State Long Beach, and I got in, and it was such a great feeling, right, to be first gen and the first in my family to start a master's program, and that went fairly fast. Uh, I remember uh, it felt like a long time at that point, but I do remember really enjoying the program meeting some awesome people um and yet also learning a lot of things that as i look back i i will say felt like they prepared me but also didn't (laughs) and what i mean by that is that after i finished i um Ended up getting a scholarship from the state, uh, or a stipend to work for a year with children at a high-level mental health facility. Like, high, basically, like these children were high need, high risk. And the services that I provided were pretty much 24-7 where I was on call if there was any emergency uh, or any like need. Uh, most of these children were uh, suicidal. And so I quickly like went into the field with so much like on my shoulders right like coming out of college uh first time really being in these kinds of settings and um you know luckily i worked in a group and i also had a really awesome supervisor who was really helpful and when i think about it it's like oh my god like i can't even believe how i made it through a year Uh, really high intense cases. Uh, There were days where I was up at two in the morning talking to a parent or moments where I had to, you know, go to a school and handle a big crisis with a foster kid. Um, And I learned so much. And it also really challenged me. And I think almost towards the end of the year, there were moments where I I was reconsidering, like, did I make the right choice? You know, was this really the work that I wanted to do? Um, And not knowing back then a lot of the other options that I had, you know, it, 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 I think it it was a a very tough, um, very, very tough job. And so I, I have a lot, a lot of, um, love and appreciation for those therapists and folks out there who work with kids and who support families, because it was definitely something that, um, you know, really, it really takes a toll on you after a while. And, uh, you know, after that, I decided, OK, you know what? I need a switch. I need to figure out what I want to do next. And so at that point, my partner and I were like, we should go back to San Francisco. And we ended up deciding to move left, I think, maybe like three, four months later after I finished my uh, one year at the uh, the site that I was at, and I started at a nonprofit in downtown San Francisco that specialized in working with the Latinx and Indigenous communities. And I took the role of mental health consultant. Uh, I was still working in schools; it was just in a very different capacity. Uh, but I was pretty much doing consultation work for a while and supporting uh, some of the teachers, administrators, and some of the folks that were, you know, a big part of the more. more of the behind the scenes administrative stuff Uh, and also direct work with children in the classroom observations working with parents doing trainings and i really loved the work um it it was it was a big change for me a big shift Uh, it still came with a lot of its own uh heavy toe i think um in some ways I, i definitely still had to be in communities that were very high need. Uh, And so, you know, uh, one of the biggest things I learned at that time was the self-care aspect, right, was really learning to take care of myself and uh, trying to find that balance, um, which wasn't always easy. uh, But I I did love the work until I think maybe two and a half years in, I was like, you know what, I I really want to go back to one-on-one, but I think that I need to go back to working with adults, um, you know, I spent so much time working with children and I, I, I applied my education and definitely still have a strong passion for development. And I think it's actually what's helped me a lot in my career is understanding child and human development so well. Um, so I decided to go back into therapy one-on-one and I uh, went to the clinic at, at, the, at the nonprofit I was at. And I started to work primarily with queer uh Folks, and and it, it was amazing. I remember falling in love with it and thinking, "This is what I think I was meant to do." And I think before it, 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 it seems like it would have been logical because you know I identified as queer. I was coming to terms with my sexuality and 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 uh, had been in a relationship for a while. But it, in my head, it was always, you know, I the, I maybe don't want to do this specific work because. It's so close to my own story. And I don't know if this is something that I would actually want to, to do, you know, work with people who remind me of me. But I quickly realized that it was actually a strong suit. You know, being able to connect and feel seen and being able to see the folks that came in to see me, uh, you know, who shared similar experiences, uh, was really powerful. And I fell in love with it. And I think that was the beginning of me really shifting into the work that I'm doing now. Um, you know, I was there for a year, and then decided to go on to Kaiser, where I was very specific about the work I was doing, and um, you know that was one area that they were very helpful in. They did give me a lot of opportunities to work with Spanish-speaking folks and LGBTQ plus folks. Um, You know, I've shared a little bit about my experience at Kaiser on Instagram. Uh, I'm very open about it not being a very positive experience and actually pretty negative for the most part. Uh, But I, I do appreciate that I was able to also work with clients who needed me in, you know, in that setting, uh, I did that for a year as well before I decided that I could not do this type of work in these settings anymore. It just felt so opposite and so contradicting to who I was as a person and to the work that I wanted to do. And I set myself up to go solo. Uh, I had made a great friend by that point, Adriana Alejandre of uh, Latinx Therapy. And I took one of her courses on starting your uh, your individual practice and it helped me so much and I think it really boosted my confidence and I remember thinking like I need to do this for me but also because I'm so exhausted of having to do this work and feel this immense pressure of you know expectation that I don't align with Uh, and on top of that I think it was this was during the pandemic um i i still had so much time to think and i was so unhappy And you know I, I realized at that point that i was still living this almost very um just stunted, dulled down life that i, I didn't want and you know luckily i i have a partner who's always been supportive and who who's always um really created space for me to talk about myself and and you know be myself and I remember just having conversations about like you know I'm just so exhausted from dressing up this way and doing therapy this way and feeling like I had to act this way and my parents still you know seeing me this way and and people you know uh, like just all of this shit like it was just Exhausting. Even as I think about it now, my brain just like feels like oh, like just <laughs> overwhelmed. And I remember just thinking, "I'm done. I am so done." And and one of the things that I learned about uh, in the course that I took with the next therapy was really about creating um, this practice as a as a very unique and individual uh, space. And for me, that was the moment where I, I asked myself like, "What do you want to?" put out in the world? And who are you trying to help? And because I had such a great experience working with the queer community and also starting to embrace myself and learning to love myself, I reminded myself that I needed to be true to myself and my story mattered. And that was the moment where my private practice uh, was born. And I went in it from the get go, not letting any of the shit that I had done before you know, feel like it had to be that way. I started to dress the way that I felt comfortable. I started to explore makeup. I started to allow myself to go back to a lot of the things that I was very interested and passionate about, but didn't dare to really explore because of fear. Um, And it started to become an exploration phase for me. And I set myself up to really be intentional about my practice. And so even today, I am very proud to say that my practice is 100% queer and BIPOC, um, queer and or BIPOC. And I love it. I love the work that I do. I feel fulfilled in so many ways. Uh, I feel inspired daily by my clients, um, you know, and motivated to do this work. And it's also led to other opportunities, uh, which which includes modeling, right? Modeling was something that I never thought that I could do, something that I didn't think was for me. Uh, You know, I grew up constantly being criticized about my looks not feeling great about my looks uh or or even um you know, who I was, uh, physically, uh, you know, people said that I looked like an indio and I remember that and I am indigenous, which is funny. Cause I think at that point it just felt negative, right? Cause it was said in a negative way. Uh, but I was always shorter and I wish I was taller. I remember dying my hair blonde. I remember wearing contacts and I'm going to talk about all this shit later on, but I just remember all that stuff like happening for me and realizing quickly that I didn't love myself. I didn't see myself in the mirror and smile and so when i finally decided like i'm gonna take ownership of this and i'm going to be beautiful in my own way is when things started to really uh hit the fast pace for me you know i started to see myself in a very different way and of course it took time i mean there were days where i just hated the process and and just thought like i you know i don't even know who i am anymore and there were other days where i felt so great and kept thinking like Oh my gosh, I feel so free, you know, like I feel more like myself today. And so, you know, for anyone out there listening and you're going through your own process or this kind of process, I just think it's so important to remember to have patience and empathy for yourself. Um, It was something that I had to learn to practice daily uh, that really, really uh, helped me, you know, in in, in part of this journey. Um, And so, anyway, going back to, to what I was sharing, I started to just be more in myself you know i experimented i tried things out i figured out what i liked what i didn't like with clothing with makeup with uh the way i styled my hair with the way that i took care of my body you know all of these different things and uh that was two and a half years ago um, you know, when I was starting my practice and I, and I can definitely say that I see the progress, uh, I, I see a lot of the growth and I have so much gratitude, uh, for my support system, you know, my close friends, uh, my partner, uh, and a lot of my family members who ha- have, been and are very accepting and loving and welcoming and nurturing. Uh, you know, I, I definitely would not be here. Uh, where I'm at today, at least not at the same level, if it hadn't been for the love, right, that I received, uh, and so Instagram also became a place where I started to do a lot of that work, right, really allowing myself to be seen and showcasing my transition into uh, the most authentic, uh authentic version of myself, uh, you know, that I could. Presently exist in. And so that was a big part of it as well, you know, hearing from a lot of folks and being able to create content uh, and showing up for myself. Uh, and I'm still doing that today. And I'm so excited about it, you know, because it, it really gives me an opportunity to um, have other people feel inspired, right? Smile, uh, laugh, feel joy, but also find some solace, right? And knowing that they're not alone and that it can get better. You know, it does get better for a lot of us. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that modeling was something, like I said, I didn't see for myself and yet it happened, you know, and I started to really connect with so many folks. Uh, I've been really blessed to meet amazing queer designers, uh, queer Uh, organizers, creatives who have been very welcoming and who have been very supportive in my journey. Uh, You know, I have a few upcoming projects I'm very excited about that I'll be sharing about as well. And I'm definitely going to be talking about modeling, my process, uh, a lot of the ups and downs that come with it, and the daily stuff that I still deal with, uh, you know, because I am human. And at the end of it, you know, all of this work that I've done and that I am doing is not really about reaching some place where, you know, I'm I'm, I'm happy go lucky. There's no no uh, issues or anything going on uh, because there are there are definitely a lot of things that I still stress about, that I still have anxiety about, that I worry about. And yet it's not about any of those things. You know, I, I know that they exist. I know that they're there. I take them into consideration. I try to nurture those areas that need that love and, and tenderness. And also, I push forward. Uh, you know, I think as, as, as a queer person who has had to survive so much already, um, it, it's shifted for me. You know, it, it's no longer about just survival. It's really about thriving And I think that's what has shifted for me from that perspective that before it felt like I just needed to get through and just needed to push through. Now it feels like I'm going to push through. I'm going to get through this because I know, I know and I feel it. There is just something better and something more, Um, you know, and life is not something that we just do. I mean, it's, it's we live every day. Right. And there's opportunities. Um, and of course, we have to take into consideration the pressures and, you know, the, the systems that we live in and, and how they affect us and all of these other things, because it is very real um, that we are survivors and we are also meant to thrive. And I, I firmly believe that, you know, and I think I just got so exhausted of just feeling like I was surviving day to day that this has really been a revolution for me in the way that I approach life and, and my own path. So I'm so happy that y'all are here. And honestly, there's so many things that I'll be talking about later on, different topics from relationships to friendships, uh, modeling, anxiety, religious trauma, uh, queerness. And you know, I'm, I'm really, really thrilled to also have guests that I really respect and am looking forward to having conversations with. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me for this first episode. I'm so excited to continue to have these conversations. Please feel free to send me questions. You can either DM me at my Instagram at Luis, L-U-I-S, underscore the, T-H-E-E, underscore L-M-F-T. Or you can email me at luiscornejomodeling at gmail.com. I would love to get your questions and input and feedback uh, so that I can improve, but also add to the show. And uh, thank you so much again for joining me, everyone. Bye-bye.